0: It's 2 years of pandemic. What what is it going to take to get a city to act as opposed to just talking about maybe making a plan someday? Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. All right, start so start off a little slow there. Uh yeah,
1: your energy was started off low, but you hit you hit the note. You hit the note. Yeah.
0: Um, we're recording on my wife's birthday. I just had lunch with her, and on the way over, we listened to the Tignotaro podcast. I usually listen to podcasts at between 2.0 and 2.5x, and she listens to them at 1.0x, which is normal speed. And Tignotaro talks slow. So I'm in a kind of slow state of mind right now. <laughs>
2: I've been in that car, Chris, and that, that podcast, uh, your podcast speed is uh, unintelligible. So I've, I've been in that car, and it's painful.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it keeps me from driving off the road. Uh, I don't know. It's like this uh, weird adrenaline effect.
1: How do you retain anything? It's like listening to like a podcast, like an auctioneer or something, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that I slow it down to like 1.5 or, you know, like somewhere in there, if it's like a show that um, uh, is uh, a new ground where I'm not really sure what's going on. But, you know, when you're listening to like like a whole bunch of shows that are saying the same sort of things over, talking about, you know, what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on in tech policy and stuff, you're sort of like listening for new things. You're not trying to like file every last detail away, I feel like. So, um, and the other thing is, is that like, public radio shows like they're designed for people that uh, are are quite a bit older than we are (laughs) maybe shauna may not feel that way but but my understanding (laughs) is that as you get older like you know like you really do start to like uh, slow down a little bit in your preferences so i feel like there's a lot of space you could take out of those kinds of shows for people who don't recognize the voices, though, these are these are the the other um, two of our three uh, senior leadership folks in the Community Broadband Networks team at the Institute for Local Self Reliance. Um, we have Sean Gonsalves. welcome. Thank you. And Rye Mercatilio McCracken. <laughs> Thanks, Chris.
2: Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> you have a name that lends itself to it. What can you do? We're going to talk about a couple of different topics t- today. That uh, there's so much going on and we wanted to touch on some of them. I wanted to rant a little bit. I've ranted this several times to a lot of people around me, so if you've heard it already, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I've improved it a little.
2: Maybe just kick it up to 1.5x or 2x. <laughs>
0: right, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to I want to start by highlighting something that uh, that Rai and uh, and also Emma on our team have been working on in particular, which is uh, compiling this big list of, of broadband projects, not all just community broadband projects, but a lot of broadband projects that have been funded by uh, the American American Rescue Plan. So what's happening there, Rye?
2: Yeah, so this is a, a big list that we started about, um, I want to say maybe six or seven months ago to try to just get our heads around uh, what's happening with the Rescue Plan money and how our communities planning to use it. And so uh, it seemed like at the time it was a good idea just to start uh, tracking down which communities are considering projects and which ones have planned projects. At this point in time, Uh, That list has, and it is by no means comprehensive. So if you've got, um, if you take a look at it and you've got a good project that maybe we're missing on there, don't hesitate to shoot us a note. Uh, It's got 187 community-led projects across 45 states, including 22 states, which have announced uh, significant broadband programs uh, for new infrastructure.
0: So nearly every state has something, but like half of them are doing something really cool. Is that how you break that down?
2: I think that's fair, yeah. And I would venture to say that probably every state has some sort of community-led project, um, and we've just, you know, it's hard to wade through all the all the noise.
1: Except for my state,
0: Massachusetts. Massachusetts.
2: Right,
1: Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Well, that's going to be the a great
2: there's a great Mike Berbiglia um uh, special who call any in it he calls it cat Massachusetts. I can't remember why. Well, that's a great joke. You know.
0: I can't I can't hear Mike Birbiglia without thinking of um uh La Quinta Inn. <laughs> uh, uh that whole act about his sleepwalking is uh is terrific. <laughs> But I uh, drive by La Quinta Inn, which um, for people who aren't aware, uh, La Quinta Inn in Ammon, Idaho, has the best broadband you can almost get in any hotel anywhere um, because uh, they, the owners of that are a big supporter of the Municipal Fiber Network there. And uh, I learned a little bit about La Quinta Inn um, during uh, stays there and talking with uh, Bruce Patterson from there. Uh, all La Quinta Inns uh, welcome you to bring your pets. And uh, that's pretty cool. They're dog people, I guess. Wow, you should note cool. that this
2: uh, podcast is not brought to you by Linkington, but maybe it could be.
0: Yeah. Um maybe just the one in Ammon. I mean, our sponsorship rates can't be that big. <laughs> 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 they could afford to run the ad, even if they even if they don't have a bunch of budget. <laughs> <laughs> so um are there any stories from the big list that leap out at you, Rai? Uh, sure. I
2: guess I could share a couple of uh, interesting ones. So uh, one of note, uh Hillsboro, Oregon, they just started uh, building their municipal network in 2021 uh, and they've announced they're going to commit 3 million of their um, rescue plan uh, uh, funds to to that project and essentially speed it up. And so that, and that's an interesting one because uh, they specifically designed the rollout of their uh, phase zero and phase one deployments to reach the the neighborhoods of Hillsborough that need connectivity the most. And so uh, people there can take advantage of the bridge program they've got and get I think it's gigabit symmetrical for $10 a month.
0: For the low income folks, yeah. Um, for people who aren't aware, Hillsboro is a, uh, I think considered a fairly wealthy suburb. Uh, a lot of high tech folks there in the Portland area. Um, I think Intel's located up in there, has a lot of employees. Uh, they were going to be doing a ten year build. I think was the original plan. And um, you know, this is not the first time we've heard this. Uh, anytime a community says they're going to do something in ten years, in my head, I'm like, right, four or five. I get it. <laughs> because um, as you start building, like maybe something comes available in terms of money. I mean, Chattanooga got that $111 million from the federal government, from the Department of Energy after they started building, after they committed to it, that allowed them to speed up. And um, the other thing that happens is the political dynamic changes where you the city council members start hearing from people in their district who are like, are we going to get that in 10 years? Because I'd rather get that like tomorrow. Tomorrow would be good. Um, So a lot of things can change when a city commits to something on a longer time frame.
2: I think the landscape really changes and the local conversation changes once that first subscriber is lit up.
0: Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's, uh, that's an interesting one to watch. And um, I've been wanting to get them on, but I've been waiting um, in line with what I keep telling you, which is uh, you know we, we're trying to make sure we're focusing our coverage on people that have done things, not people who are announcing things. So um, uh, I think it's about time we, we pulled in the Hillsborough folks to, to hear right from them what's, how things are going. I think so there are uh, plenty of other people to talk to as well
2: uh from that big list uh grayson kentucky is uh going to build a 100 gigabit per second network that's gonna hit i think it's about 1700 premises uh 4200 people living there and so um that's in response also to um you know them living in a um, natural disaster prone area and the fact that they have um had to deal with you know emergency uh, responders having no connectivity um, you know, several times over the last decade. And so um, you know, it's about that as well.
0: Yeah, so there's a there's certainly a lot of projects going on. There's um new ones being announced every day, it seems like. So we'll keep updating that list. If you go to Muninetworks.org, uh it's somewhere on the left hand side. Is it under learn or resources or am I just making up a menu names now? <laughs>
2: It's, it's under resources, yep, on yeah. the
0: left-hand side. Resources. So if you look under resources, you'll find American Rescue Plan projects or something like that, and you can get your make your way to the big list that way on every one of our muninetworks.org's pages.
1: It's great and terrific to hear about and to see all these projects getting underway, although it stuns me, though, how many places. I mean, the the, the Rescue Plan money's been around now for, for some time, and it's just amazing to me that the the number of communities and even states that are kind of dragging their feet, and just sitting on it or scratching their head.
0: I do think some of that has to do with the change in the rules. Um, you know, it looked like to a city administrator, or a city lawyer, it looked like it might be complicated to spend that money on broadband. Uh, you know, even just six months ago, uh, it was that change in rules in January. If I want to remember correctly, when did I do all that dancing? Was that January? <laughs> I think
1: that was Jan. Yeah. I think it was January.
0: Um, and, and at that point, uh, it became easier. And so I, I hope that we'll continue to see more cities taking advantage of, of that money to do that. And so for people who, um, aren't tracking it as closely, uh, we're talking about the Slurferf money, the state and local fiscal recovery funds. The other, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was telehealth. Uh, and Sean, um, you published something. Um, you know, I, I know that that this is something that you only had to put a few minutes in to uh, get together this (laughs) op-ed about telehealth.
1: (laughs) It was a pleasure to work with uh, Craig. Craig settles is who, um, we co-authored this piece with, but you know, I will say that, um, you know, they say many hands make light work, but, you know, sometimes when it comes to writing, you know, especially when you're used to doing things in the kind of a solitary fashion, it's an interesting process to collaborate. But um, so this piece was published on Broadband Breakfast and uh, it was, you know, Craig actually had a, a, a stroke um, a year ago. and
0: Oh, no, it must have been like four or five years ago, I think, at this point.
1: Really? Was it was that long ago? I uh, think oh, so, yeah. Craig, if you're listening to this, forgive me for getting the anniversary messed up. You know, through through that experience, it was a real you know eye opening experience for him in terms of the power of uh, telehealth connectivity and, and healthcare, particularly as it related to him. I, it, it turns out that the the hospital that he was brought to, their stroke center was set, the 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 surgeon that set up that tro- that stroke center, had essentially mirrored all of the technology that at the stroke center in her home and and was able to virtually be there when he came into the emergency room, which turned out to be life-saving in in, in many ways. And so that was part of what we that was that was sort of a, an aha moment for him um, and has been thinking about this for some time. And, and of course, this is something that we talk about and think about all the time. And, and that piece was really looking at and making the case or essentially hopefully raising the question in people's minds of the potential for improving health outcomes and the tremendous savings that can be had with a robust, uh, telehealth connectivity and how that could also be the thing that could really drive broadband adoption when, when, you know, when, when folks wrap their mind around the, around what that means. I mean, of course, most healthcare systems these days have great connectivity, but if the patients that, um, are on the other end don't have, or the doctors or the doctors have, you know, reliable high-speed internet connectivity, then, um, It doesn't, you know, it doesn't amount to much. So
0: if that doctor was on vacation, you know, someplace where they didn't have good connectivity, um, we would be down Craig potentially. And, you know, I mean, it's one thing to talk about cost savings. And I think those are important and those also will touch lives. But uh, we're all fortunate that Craig's still able to keep doing the work that uh, he's been doing for so long.
1: Yes, yes. And so in, in the process of doing this, you know, I keep coming back to this question of why aren't Healthcare providers, you know, shouting from the rooftops, or really advocating for universal broadband for everyone, you know, to really advance some of the the, the promise that telehealth holds. Not that telehealth is some magic elixir uh, that fixes everything, but there's certainly, as as Rye is, uh, knows well, there's certainly uh, a lot of studies that have shown the how, how significantly it can impact health outcomes.
0: I think some of our colleagues at the Institute for Local Self Reliance would suggest that. Part of the reason that we don't see that howling is because uh, there's so many monopolies in this space. And even if they're supposedly nonprofit monopolies, uh, they're run by the bean counters, right? These are – and oddly enough, they're like – I say that. And like, I mean, your answer might be, well, if they're run by bean counters, how come they're not making like these smart investments? <laughs> like, And that's because bean counters are like, I think more moved by like history and uh, than they are by um, new evidence. And they're conservative, not in a political sense, but in a sense of just never wanting to change anything. Um, right. And I think they're not really that well attached to the communities anymore. So I, you know, I think there's a real systems problem there is what I would yeah. guess.
1: Yeah. and I, And also, I mean, as with all things, you know, there's so many complexities and nuances. But the, the other thing, too, I'm sure that's a part, part of the equation is, you know, every state has, you know, different laws as it relates to health, telehealth. And then there's questions around the kind of reimbursements, you, you know, you can get through, you know, through healthcare providers.
0: But, I mean, it goes further than that, too. Like, I mean, Rye, you just you spent so much time working on this for a report that will be coming out in our lifetime. Um <laughs> I wish people could see that smile of Ryan as he's waiting for me to finish reviewing a key part of it. <laughs> he's been waiting. Um, the um, the the academics I feel like also haven't really captured. Is it, is it just because it takes so long to study this stuff, and we're kind of impatient about it? But I was I was pretty disappointed with uh, what we found in terms of official materials, in terms of of just evaluating different telehealth options using modern technology.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think. And to speak to what you two were talking about earlier, to some extent, my guess is it's a problem of communication across uh, the different components to healthcare, not only the clinics and the hospital systems, but the insurers, uh, and then the people who are doing the internal research and the industry analysts, and then the, um, the academics who are you know, doing their own thing. And so putting all that stuff together in a compelling way, and then shepherding it through the system into a successful telehealth project and then collecting the data that you need and the quality of life improvements the you know personal narratives to um justify the continued existence of that program is not necessarily a a fast process and uh and so take some time and
0: you know i just had this flashback i know sean's a huge fan of basketball so he'll get this right away but i'm reminded of wesley snipes and um white men can't jump it's hard work it's hard (laughs) gd work (laughs) That's a great movie. That is a great movie. <laughs> and, I mean, that's, and I mean, I'm right. The one thing I would add on to everything you just said is um, it's even harder than that because when we talk to hospitals about this, they're like, we don't know which of our customers has broadband, you know, like, and then, so that's a part of the problem is that, is that um And why Sean, I mean, we can sort of end this, this segment by noting exactly what Sean was saying, which is like, we need to think of broadband as being a subsidiary of healthcare to get it out to everyone. Because it will save more money in the healthcare system than it costs to deploy broadband, subsidize it, and get the digital skills taught and all that. Um, You know, we can do all of that and still save more money in the healthcare system uh, than if we just continue on the status quo. Um, and so like, we kind of got to break this chicken and egg thing by just going big on telehealth uh, is something that I feel like we're all leaning in the direction of. For sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, before we, I think we're going to we lead into my rant in another few minutes here. Uh, Rye, you, one of the people on your team, Christine, that does a lot of our research work, she just did a magnificent job taking down an absurd study. Uh, why don't you tell us about that?
2: Sure. So uh, broadband now, which people are probably familiar with, um, published a report um, at the beginning of February, which uh, seemed to claim that broadband prices across all the major speed tiers had dropped by something like 30 percent from 2016 to 2021. In other words, uh, if you read the report and you read a lot of the media coverage afterwards, you would walk away and think, uh, oh, my broadband bill has gone down by 30% uh, over the last five years. And I think that uh, accurately captures most of our experience. Um, when we go <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I, the I would have
0: surprised it's only 30%. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I, I, I feel like I don't even pay anymore. You know, like <laughs> I think Comcast deposits money into my account every month at this point.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously uh, we looked at, we looked at the report and we were excited to, to dig into it and see like, you know, what, what was underpinning it all. And unfortunately what, what, ended up happening as the report was uh very short and very thin and um if not poorly written at least uh methodologically uh not clear enough in in what it was actually actually capturing uh which was you know not necessarily the absolute price of broadband that people were paying for their households over time but uh the fact that speed buckets have changed prices over the last five years, as um, you know, everybody has upgraded their network infrastructure and um, and speed bucket prices have gone down a little bit, right? Um, which is not necessarily anything all that revolutionary.
0: Yeah, I mean, as we're gonna, I feel like we're some. This is my Friday afternoon joke show, and I just reminds you there must be a horse in here somewhere. There must be a pony in here somewhere, right? <laughs> like, um, all of this horse <laughs> apples. Um, so. Um, the uh study uh i i come back to this line that i feel like is is i'm the only one that seems to appreciate it, but i'll use it one more time just to get it out and per- permanently archived on the internets um which is that like i mean the study is basically saying that like yeah like in 2012 you would have paid all that money for that car but like if you try to buy that car now in 2020 it's a lot cheaper so like cars are cheaper now right <laughs> like because like that 2020 like the 2012 like Toyota that you would have got um you know is uh, so much less now than it was uh it's ridiculous no one thinks of broadband in these terms um this is what we'd expect to happen and uh i i'm i'm, I'm sorry to see that the state of our media is such that that reporters found this credible and right. amplified it it's ridiculous
1: right. well and and, and that's the, that's part of the danger and what ends up happening and it's like you know you know, you, 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 you see a headline like that, or you see a story like that. And as an individual person, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't align with people's experience. Like, you know, anybody that sees that is like, what, wait, what, that not me. And probably nobody that they know, but, but that kind of reporting, you know, really just serves as cover for policymakers to, you know, to do certain things that, you know, and have, a you know, you know, the guise of, uh, evidence, um, to support what they're doing and it's it, it, it's 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 a real shame
0: right now as we're talking they're wrapping up i think that the hearing on the broadband label which would help give uh, shoppers in the marketplace a better sense of what they're likely to get and and make prices more clear amid all this 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 um, uh, misleading promotional prices and things like that and a person representing u.s telecom uh shooing up there and said cited that study and was like what's the problem right um i didn't actually see it right you saw it i think right because um, you watch that sort of stuff. I just take credit as though I watched it and, and repeat what you tell me.
2: Yep, uh, and I actually screenshotted the comments that were made. Uh, uh, this person said, a recent study by Broadband Now found that prices for ultra-high-speed plans have decreased by almost $60 per month. That is remarkable and a testament to the investment America's providers are making to close the digital divide. This is a result of how competitive the broadband marketplace has become.
0: So what's interesting is we talked about this right when it came out or so with Doug Dawson and Kim McKinley on the Connect This show. Um, wait a minute. What show was that, Chris? The Connect This show um, that we do. And, um, and Doug made a really good point, which I think a lot of people don't realize how concentrated the market is for broadband in the U.S. Um, because almost all Americans on um, getting broadband, internet access, get it from like fewer than 10 companies, right? Like most people get it from Comcast or Charter. And then there's other cable companies and then there's like AT&T and Verizon and Lumen. And, uh, and so in order for prices to have declined that significantly, it would mean that Charter and Comcast would have had to have been slashing their rates over those years because mathematically it is not possible to arrive at an average. If like 75% of the U S is on three providers and those providers are raising their prices, you know, the other providers would have to be like depositing money to their customers accounts in order to make up the difference and to make the um, total amount paid drop. And so it's just like, logically it's ridiculous.
1: Right. Well, and it's amazing that people can say certain things with a straight face. I mean, competition.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, (laughs) you know, the broadband market is one of the least competitive markets in existence i mean it's it's you know there's not many things you can think of where it's like oh i have a choice of either the local incumbent provider or or nothing
0: Yeah. I mean, it gives you a sense of how much work we have to do. Right. I mean, it's like this thing, I mean, we're celebrating these different investments, but like, you know, most of these investments are in towns that have hundreds of thousands of people where they're going to get competitive markets, right. That's less than a percent of the U S population. Now we're hoping to see that those trends grow. You know, we're part of this larger effort of even private companies coming in, you know, more public investment and public private partnerships and things. Um, but the market is very consolidated and, um, I don't know if that's not something I can rant about. Um, I could rant about this other thing as we move into it, which is that um, you know, something that uh, Sean wears his passion on his sleeve more like I do. Um, I've never seen Rye get as upset about this, but like I don't, I'm just so annoyed at cities that aren't doing anything yet. Um, you know, I went to the net inclusion event that na- the national digital inclusion, uh, um, alliance put together NDIA It is wonderful. It was inspiring in many ways, but every now and then I'd see a city on stage, usually a larger city, not all of them that were there. Some of them aren't doing things, but they would say like, oh yeah, like, you know, we have this rescue plan dollars coming and we're making this plan and we're going to talk to these people and maybe we're going to find some partners. And I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, it's two years of pandemic. Like what, what is it going to take to get a city to act as opposed to just talking about maybe making a plan someday? Um, yeah. you know, fortunately we have some cities, you know, Baltimore, it looks like Detroit. We have some cities that are going to be doing some smart things and taking action. Maybe they'll make some mistakes. They're going to try and solve this. I'm just so tired of hearing from people. This is an emergency. We have to have a hundred meetings and, and think about like, who's going to develop a plan in five years. Like, no, like get something going or find a new job. Right. Like, I'm just like, I feel that passionately about it because I'm just like, I believe this is an emergency. I've been all of us have been working our butts off trying to, like, help resources and stuff like that. And to see cities that right now have unprecedented amounts of funds available to them and they're not doing much with it yet. or The fact that Minneapolis is probably just going to write a big check to Comcast for that. And then when that money runs out. Well, too bad. Like the families will figure something out at that point. Like, just come on.
1: Right. Oh, man thank you i i i i felt every word of that and I, I i'm in a thousand percent agreement i i wonder it's i wonder if city officials often just don't see this as being infrastructure like roads and the stuff that they build and in in
0: they shouldn't act like it
1: yeah they and, talk and, like it
0: right but they don't act like it
1: yeah yeah it's bizarre to me um but you know and then also I, i'm sure too that Probably in the grand scheme of things, you know, a lot of a lot of municipalities, a lot of cities probably feel squeezed and, you know, have this like laundry list of things that are super important that they've underinvested in for, for a long time.
0: I think this I think no one can prioritize anymore. Like I just I feel like people just can't prioritize. Like you're right. Absolutely right. There's tons of stuff they want to be doing. They want to hire eight different administrators to talk about like their meaningless contribution to climate change. Like I care a lot about fixing climate change. Like I think it's a major issue, but like St. Paul, Minnesota, like hiring three new people to like focus on that is not going to move the needle, people. Like let's let's get things done that we can get done.
2: And the beauty of broadband, right, is that uh, every dollar you spend on uh municipal network or something that's locally accountable, that comes back to the community uh, many times over, right? So if you want to talk about uh, an economic investment that's going to pay dividends for 30, 40,
0: 50 years, uh, it's almost a no-brainer. For the amount of money they put into sports stadiums. Right. I mean, that's the amount of money we're talking about. We're not talking about like a historic investment any more than U.S. Bank was a historic investment for the county, the city, the state of Minnesota. Right. Like it's a 20 year investment. They understand that. Right. They want the Vikings to stick around. Like I, I just I mean, people act like this is like, you know, something that's unprecedented. The electric systems were more expensive. They built water systems out to everyone. hundred and twenty, hundred years ago or something like that. You know, yeah. Like our generation hasn't had to do it before. Like Just look back at the different things cities have had to do. They have to prioritize and decide what's important. And the thing is, is that it's not important. And it's not important because the people who vote, the people who matter, they can afford the Comcast service, right? They can afford the cable service and they're not happy about it, but it's not leading them to change who they vote for. And so public officials don't want to say, oh, these people who don't vote as much, who live in public housing, you know, it's not that they don't count. They don't ever want to admit they don't count, but they don't count right like like that's what it comes down to no one in, no one in public office is afraid of upsetting a single mother a single you know a single parent family that's struggling and and not on the internet right they want to they want to talk about how like they'll argue about the schools and how we have to um you know we have to like argue about how much the teachers get or something like that when these kids are going home and they they have no access to resources to do their homework or to learn like um anyway i just you know it's it's really frustrating and it doesn't have to be this way
2: well said Yeah. And it's not that, you know, anybody who's looked at the history of technology and knows how these other complex human systems were built knows that there are mistakes that are going to happen along the way. Um, The first time we do it, you know, we're going to learn things and we'll do it better and better. And so this idea that we need to make sure that we don't make a single mistake uh, before the first person gets connected is kind of a ludicrous one.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. Right. I mean, this is the thing I struggle with. Right. Every now and then we try something new. It's terrifying. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, if I'm doing something someone else has done, I got like a playbook, right? Like if we're trying something new, God, it sucks. It's so much more work. And it's and you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, I'm am I, am I thinking of this right, you know, you're calling up other people trying to figure out like it is it's hard work, but like that's why we're electing these people. Like it's not like you know, it's not like it's supposed to be an easy job. I just feel like A... They need to do a better job, but also people need to have higher expectations like it drives me nuts to like most of our major cities now are, are democratic cities, and no one's ever going to vote for a Republican and, and like any kind of majority and so the Democrats feel very confident about it. but we need to hold these people to higher standards and i said i've been saying this for years about Republicans in rural areas, right like they haven't been doing enough to get broadband out to those rural areas. they need to be held to higher standards, I'm not telling people to vote for a party they don 't like, but like we need to find ways of holding these people to higher standards and And that's going to be the first step.
2: And the problem now, right, is um, there's so much money coming down the pipeline that five years from now or 10 years from now, you know, the the argument that we need to fix the remaining digital divide is going to be even harder to make because we've spent all this money. You know, some of it's going to get spent poorly. Some of it's going to get wasted. uh, But hopefully, you know, when we're talking a year or two years from now, um, we'll be uh, much more optimistic about what the future looks like
0: yeah i mean you it's hard to imagine congress appropriating more money until this money's spent and so we're looking at 6 7 years maybe 8 or 9 years so yeah like this is the this is the thing that's moving like we got to get it done now or else you know cities can pay for this themselves like i mean they could but then they really have to prioritize right so like this is the opportunity, and I we just need people to get better organized. You know, a great way to do that is to come to our um, event on Wednesday uh, tomorrow. If you're listening to this really quick, maybe if you're listening to this on Wednesday, quick check and see if it's a two o'clock Eastern yet, because uh, we're doing this event and it's going to be recorded. Um, it's a digital equity event. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm not going to be ranting at all. I'm going to be very positive. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, um, but it's going to have a lot of great speakers, and we're going to be talking about how cities and and, and uh, states and other are building coalitions to tackle these problems there's a lot of hope uh, but someone's got to do the work in each community I'm looking
1: forward to it I think it's going to be fun I'm especially looking forward to the trivia yes even though I won't be able to play because I guess I you know kind of have access to the.
0: you can play you just can't you won't get the award if you win right it'll go to like the number two person if you win because like you developed some of the questions some of the better questions I think (laughs) Ha. All I mean right. we, had, we had good contributions from everyone, but like we're gonna have a video question uh, like uh, with photos and I'm pretty sure that that was yours.
1: There we go. You know, hey, doing, doing my part, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, thank you both for for uh, spending some time when you're just trying to wrap up projects at the end of the week. I appreciate a chance to jump on the podcast with you.
1: This is actually always fun. Yeah,
2: it is. Thanks for having us, Chris. appreciate it. Cool. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support, in any amount, keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.